Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Good morning, everyone. God bless you today. Could we bring that down just a little bit? Because if I want to yell, it's going to be a little too loud. There you go. Is it, can everybody hear? All right. Well, what a wonderful opportunity. I'm so appreciative of my son, Pastor Jeff, for Pastor Amy, for allowing uh, me this opportunity today. Pastor Jeff is preaching at Seven Hills today, and I'm excited about that. And uh, my grandson Jude is at a conference out in L.A., and so there wasn't nothing, nobody left but the old hound dog to hold the fort down. So that's when your phone rings. <laughs> he, wa- he laid a wonderful foundation uh, for this two-part series on uh, offenses uh, last week. And so what I want to do is take a little different approach and just build upon that wonderful foundation that he laid. My scripture that I want to start with is Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied that Jesus Christ would be the stumbling stone and the rock of offense. In Isaiah 28 and 16, here's what God said. Watch closely. I'm laying a foundation in Zion. And Zion is not a geographical location, but it is a metaphor for where God and his people dwell. It's the church, the body of Christ. He said, I'm laying a foundation in Zion, a solid granite foundation. Granite is the hardest stone in the world, one of the hardest. It's squared and it's true. In other words, this foundation that I'm laying in the church is perfection. And here's what the moral of this stone really is. Anyone that trusts their life To build upon this foundation, it will never topple. He said, I will make justice the measuring stick, righteousness the plumb line of the building, and a hailstorm will knock down the shanty town of lies, and a flash flood will wash the rubble away. In other words, if you build on anything less than this foundation, this perfection, this, this stone that is harder and greater than any other stone, it is plumb, it is perfect in every way. Whatever you build, if it is a built on that, is nothing but a shanty town of lies, and God will send a flood, a flash flood, and wash the rubble of your lies away. The only thing that will stand in this world is truth. Jesus said, Father, sanctify thy people by thy truth. Thy word is truth. What was he saying? I am the truth. You're the ultimate truth. Your son is the truth, John 16. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. So don't let your life be built on a lie. Don't let it be built on any foundation other than the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today I want to use as a topic, a subject, the pretense of offense. Let's talk about curses for a moment. Curses, as depicted in the Bible, 
aren't fantastical enchantments like you see in the movie, nor are they simple condemnations of wickedness. But curses are, in fact, in the Bible, deeply intricate spiritual and moral concepts intertwined in ideas about sin, retribution, blessing, and redemption. In the world of Hollywood and the world of movies, curses are generally rooted in superstition and folklore. And they lack any scientific evidence of real truth, but in the Word of God, they are not only real. Over 40 scriptures I researched just in studying this little concept before I put this to pen. And in 40 of them, there are four main points that take place in the life of an individual who allows a curse, you allow it, to come upon their life. Number one, misfortune. You hear people all the time, I just don't have any luck at all. If it wouldn't be for bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck. Mental problems, emotional problems, health and relationship issues. Here is a foundational statement I want to make about curses. An offense, everybody say offense. An offense is a self-inflicted, self-induced Curse. Everybody say curse. Say offense. Curse. An offense is a self-inflicted, self-induced curse that one has chosen to embrace in their own life. They brought it upon themselves. Matthew 18 says, Woe to the world because of offenses. For it is inevitable that offenses must come, but woe to the person through whom the offense comes. John 8, 31, Jesus said this, If you continue in my words, King James, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The message, then Jesus turned to the Jews that claimed to believe in him and said, If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourself the truth and the truth will set you free. So what is he saying? There's only one truth. I told you that otherwise you're building a shanty town of lies and someday God's flash flood will wash away the rubble of the lies and what you are building. You must build on the truth of God's word. And what is the truth? The truth is he is the cornerstone that God the Father laid in Zion and you cannot build upon anything else but the cornerstone if you want a successful life in Christ. When he said continue in my word, that speaks to continuance of discipleship. You don't ever reach a point where you don't need discipleship. It means continuing in the walk that you have begun. It means abiding in Jesus Christ. Continuing in the Word of God and in the Lord and in His Word is an ongoing, progressive, forward-moving journey that each and every one of us has begun. Galatians 6 and 7, King James, you did run well. Who should hinder you that you should not obey the truth? The message, you are running spectacularly. 
who cut in on you, deflecting you from the true course of obedience. So many believers like you and I have begun the race. They've started, and they have a good start, but they've allowed an offense to cause them to stumble out of the way. And what's happening now, they're suffering grave disappointment. They've lost hope, and they've lost tremendous opportunity. Isn't it amazing that God has so much for each and every one of us, so much opportunity before us, but so many take themselves out of the game by a self-inflicted, self-induced curse by choosing to allow something to come upon them and become a part of their lives that stops them from running the race. You can clap, but do it heartily. What happens when you're stopped? You did run well. What did hinder you? What got in your way? What stopped you? When you're stopped... You can be injured and wounded and broken, laying there on your self-inflicted, self-induced curse, that stone of stumbling. Have you seen people in the movies where they would, they would stumble and they were fall and they were injured and hurt and couldn't move and some would lay there, lay there until they died? So many Christians are laying on their stone of stumbling and they're wounded they're inflicted, they're injured, they're broken. And if they aren't careful, spiritual death will ensue. They suddenly find themselves, many of us do, many people you know have, they find themselves offended and sidelined and ineffective and retreating and disinterested, wounded, angry, inflamed, exacerbated, irritated, aggravated. I tried to find every word I could find. Jesus was making the point. Continue. When you're going downstream, flowing with my spirit, there are going to be multiple opportunities to get diverted and to get hung up, and to get stopped. But you must continue in my word. Here's what he's saying. Only those who continue in my word by faith will know me as the cornerstone my father told you about. You must continue in faith. Otherwise, you know what he'll become? A rock of offense, and you can get hung up on a rock and you'll become a stone, and he'll become a stone of stumbling in your life. You see, when Jesus Christ is presented properly, uh, pray for me here, because I want to say this, but I want to be really sweet in the way I say it. Am I sweet today? I'm trying real hard. My wife gives me signals for like 50 years when I'm not sweet. She'll, she'll give me a signal with that tattooed arm. <laughs> Jesus told the Jews, you aren't allowed. Now listen, just imagine someone, you, you think it's me, it's my religion, it's my heritage, it's my ancestry. Jesus told the Jews, you aren't allowed 
to enter the kingdom of heaven by being a certain nationality. No identity politics in the kingdom of God. You aren't allowed into the kingdom of God by belonging to a certain religious sect. He said to them, you aren't allowed to enter into the kingdom of God by all of your do's and all of your don'ts and all of your man-made rules. And the Jews became so offended and so angry at Jesus, they called for his execution on the spot. You see, the only way that anyone, any of us, can enter the kingdom of God is by trusting in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone that supports everything universally. He's the cornerstone that supports it all. If one iota of his person or his being were to change, the entire universe would implode in upon itself. You see, here's the point. There is no woke way. No tolerant non-offensive way to present Jesus. Jesus offends people. That's why he called the stumbling stone and the rock of offense. We need to stop apologizing for the Bible. We, not, we need to stop apologizing for our Heavenly Father. We need to stop apologizing for Jesus Christ. We need to stop apologizing for the work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing in the earth. People, you can't save people without saving them. They got to be saved from something. There is no diluted, watered-down, easy way to get people saved. You can't save them unless you save them from something. They're sinners, they're lost, they're destined to eternal damnation, and that is offensive to those who do not serve God. It's a part of the good news, but we, chose, we choose sometimes the other part of the good news. It's a little easier to present him as the lover, and he is the lover of our souls. It's a little easier to present him as the healer, and he is the healer of our bodies. It's a little easier to present him as the deliverer, and he is the deliverer for, of our life and our bodies. He is the faithful one, and it's easy to present him that way as a faithful one that'll never leave you, go with you to the end of the way. But most of all, and sometimes we leave that part, this part out, he is our Savior. And you cannot save people without saving them. Can I just say this? In the way we present Christ, what we fail to disclose on the front end will become a stone of stumbling for them on the back end. Mark 6, verse 37 through 44. Jesus said, when the 5,000 gathered, give them to something to eat. Give them something to eat. His disciples said that would take more than half a year's wages. Are you telling us to go and spend that much money and then just watch them eat it up? And Jesus said, how many loaves do we have? Go and find out. And they said, we have five loaves and one fish. Five loaves and two fish. And then this is what Jesus said, set the people down on the green grass. He said, separate them into ranks and groups. 
groups of 50 and groups of 100. And then Jesus took the five loaves and the fish and he broke it and gave it to his disciples, his ministers, to distribute to the people. He didn't distribute it personally. They all ate, the Bible said. I like that it says in the message they were satisfied. The King James said they were all filled. His disciples picked up, after they got through eating, 12 baskets of broken bread and fish, and the number of men that he fed that day was 5,000. You know what this is indicative of? It's indicative of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The 5,000 represents the multitude of his body. The 5,000 represents the church at large. Let's look at God's ordained order of things. He has an ordained order of things. Before God feeds, always, before God feeds, he requires people to sit down. What does that mean? Be submissive. I don't feed till you're submissive. And before God feeds, he requires his church to get in ranks and groups. What does that mean? He requires his church to get in order. You've got to get into submission, and you've got to get in order. And when you get submissive, and you get in order, I feed. May I tell you why that Jesus Christ is not feeding his church more today? Because the church today is not submissive and the church is not in order. Mark 6, 45 and 45, 46 said as soon as the meal was finished, immediately when they got through feeding the 5,000, Jesus told his disciples, get into the boat and go to the other side of the sea. And then he dismissed the multitude of the church. Mark 6.53 said, as soon as they got to the other side and beached their boat, word had spread and people had already gathered knowing that Christ would come there to be with his disciples and they brought their sick and they were on cots and mats and they brought them to be healed. In another account in one of the other gospels of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, "You do." when he got there and saw that they were already there on the other side and they had rented boats and they had done everything required to get to the other side, he said, you do not follow me because you really want me, the cornerstone. You're not looking for a cornerstone. The Father laid me into this earth and this universe as the cornerstone that supports everything universally and you aren't following me for that. You follow me so that you might have my favor and my blessings. They didn't want the cornerstone, Jesus said. But Jesus said they wanted health and wealth and healing and deliverance and favor. They wanted all of the stuff that Jesus could give them. They wanted a meal without a bill. When you present Jesus as a free feeder, it'll draw a crowd and it'll draw a multitude. But when they fail to see him as the cornerstone, 
where will they be five years from now? He'll become a stone of stumbling to them. Truth, we've talked about it a little, is a revelation of things that really are. John 6, 28 said, They ask of Jesus, What must we do to do the works required by God? That's a good question. I like that. Jesus answered, He's, he just is so misunderstood. He answered, the work of God is this. In other words, if you want to do the work of God, you're asking me, what do we need to do to be able to do the works of God? You're asking me. So the, to do the work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. So what was he saying? If you want to do the works of God, Believe in me. And his answer was a stone of stumbling to them. They were disappointed. Why? Because he presented himself as a Savior, and they didn't feel like they needed a Savior. Our ancestry, our nationality, our religious sect, our good works, we don't need this. We Our ancestry has been serving God in Judaism and in the Jewish church for centuries, and they were offended. You know what the Message Bible said? They waffled. Have you ever seen anybody waffle? And you'd ask them something or do something, and they'd, they'd start to waffle. What does that mean? They hated his answer. And then here's what they said. Oh, really? You demand. Show us what you can do. Then they threw this one at him. They said, our fathers, our ancestors, God gave them bread in the wilderness. What can you do? And Jesus said, yes, my father did give them bread in the wilderness, but now he is offering you the real bread that has come down from heaven. No shantytown lies because they'll all be washed away by the flash flood that'll sweep the rubble of lies out of your life. John 6, 34. So then they didn't quite understand. He got them a little off balance there. And they said, well, if you're the bread, they didn't really know what he was talking about. Give us this bread. Verse 35, he said, I am... The bread. Verse 41, then the Jews began to grumble and hated him the more because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Once again, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, becomes a stumbling block to those who are trying to follow him. See, the pretense of offense is this. You believe you're offended at me. You believe you're offended at the person sitting next to you, that he did you wrong, she did you wrong. You believe you're offended at the, an elder or someone at your job or your boss or a relative or a friend. You believe you're offended at them. The bottom line is you're not offended at them. The bottom line of the cornerstone is that when you're flowing through life down 
this gentle flow of the Holy Spirit with all these stones of stumbling and all these obstacles, you're flowing toward the ultimate end of broadness and largeness and abundance. It all ends at the feet of Jesus who is the cornerstone that God laid. He is the stone of stumbling. He is the rock of offense. You're not offended at anything or anybody. You're offended at Jesus. Preach on, Brother Gary. What was the problem with the church then, the Jewish church? They weren't submissive. And they weren't in order. John 14 and 6 this wasn't the first time Jesus said, I am something. This time he said, I am that bread. I'm the bread. So you got to eat me. You got to take me. This wasn't the first time he said, I am. John 14 and 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. There are 30,000 religions in the world and 10,000 of them are thought to be significant because of the size of their followers. And therefore, there are 30 different gods to call upon and any one or any combination thereof they believe will get you to God. But Jesus stepped up in the middle of all their idols, all of their false gods, all of their shanty town lies, and said, I am the bread, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father. Whether you embrace all 30,000 of these false religions and false gods, no man comes to the Father except he comes through me. That offends the whole world. You know why people hate Christianity so violently? Is because of that fact right there. We are the only religion that you don't treat like a big spiritual cocktail where you put a shot of Jesus, a shot of Allah, a shot of Buddha, a shot of Confucius, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, stir it around, drink it down, voila, all roads lead to Rome, not with Jesus. He said, all those roads don't lead to Rome. There is a way that seemeth right unto man. The end thereof are the ways of death. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father God but by me. That's offensive to the world. They hate Christianity because of it. I'm working a whole lot harder than y'all are. You just all prop back in those theater seats. Hallelujah. Working up a sweat. Eight minutes. As long as Jesus taught in a way that they thought they had access to him by their own merits, by their nationality, by their religious sect, by their ancestry, by their do's and don'ts, all of their good works, as long as they thought they had access to God in that way, they were fine with it. But when Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except he is drawn by the Holy Spirit. It's not your 
choice. They hated him for it. Don't tell me I can't come to God whenever I want to. I'll lay out a year from church if I want to. But when I decide to come to God, I will come to God. Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father except he is drawn by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit shall not always strive with man. Don't lose your opportunity to come to God. As long as they thought they could come on their own merits, read the New Testament. They swarmed Jesus like flies. Everywhere he went, he couldn't shake them off. But the moment he declared himself to be the Savior, remember, you can't save somebody without saving them. The minute he declared himself to be the Savior, the cornerstone upon which the entire universe rests, he became a, st became a stone of stumbling. They hated him and they call for his immediate death. Our world is built around humanistic thoughts and a humanistic gospel. Self is first. It's all about me. It's how Gary interprets God. It's how Gary sees God. It's a humanistic gospel about I, me, and mine. The way I feel, the way I think, the way I believe. Is anybody offended yet? The gospel offends. John 6, 56 says this. He that eats my flesh. I mean, he wasn't through with them. He's, he is putting it on them. If, as if it wasn't enough already, he turns to them. They're Jews. They historically know what the law says about eating flesh, you know, flesh and different things and and, and so he turns to them and said, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. And they went off the deep end. They went insane. You know that Jesus could have done a little brief exegesis and just explained the Lord's Supper, what the bread represents and what the blood represents. But why bother, he must have thought. I am a rock of offense. I am a stone of stumbling. I am a savior. And they are not looking for a savior because they don't believe they need to be saved from anything. Mark 6 and 60, he continues. Temper it down a little bit, Jesus. He continues. They said to him, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? In verse 61, he says, does this offend you? <laughs> what do you think the answer is? Yeah, it offended him. Jesus said, you're in the flesh. That's how you're looking at this carnally. You're not in the spirit. And in verse 66, the Bible said, from that time forward, many went back and walked with Jesus no more. Did you know that truth in its initial appearance often appears to be 
skewed. You can look truth right in the face and sometimes it won't look like truth. In Luke 11, 9, 9 through 13, Jesus said, Any father that if his son asked for bread, would he give him a stone? If he asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent? If he asked for an egg, would he give him a scorpion? You know what he was saying? The kingdom of God, oftentimes bread looks like a stone. In the kingdom of God, oftentimes a fish looks like a serpent. In the kingdom of God, oftentimes an egg looks like a scorpion. You look me right in the face and you see my works and you hear my words and you don't know me. John said he created the earth and he was in the earth. He created the world. He was in the world, but the world knew him not. They didn't know who he was. You see, we want Jesus to look like the Jeffrey Hunter movie. You know, Jeffrey Hunter played Jesus in that great old movie. Jeffrey Hunter was tall, handsome, had long blonde hair, cool-looking robe, had those sassy sandals. He had a well-beautifully-groomed beard, and he had those lovely blue eyes. Yes, sir, that's our Jesus. That's him, Jeffrey Hunter. That's what Jesus looks like. And every time we start looking for the Jeffrey Hunter Jesus, the Jesus of the temple shows up, leaning up against the wall, braiding a whip, driving out the money changers, turning over their tables, their money, and their personal items go flying through the air. And that was the day you invited your friend to the temple or to church to see Jesus. But he didn't look like Jesus, not the Jeffrey Hunter Jesus. He looked like the Jesus of the temple. Then you know what we do? We do what we always do. We start apologizing for God and apologizing for the Bible and apologizing for what we believe. But you know what is strange? Jesus never one time can be found in the Gospels apologizing for his behavior. We're the ones that do that for him. In John 13, he said who he, who he who." He who receives those that I send. Who does he send? Ephesians 4.11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He who receives the people I send, the ministers that took the five loaves and the fish and went out and distributed it to the people. He who receives those I send, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that person receives me. So a lot of times, Jesus is in people right around us. He's their instrument. He's their vessel. I mean, they're his vessel. He's using them. And they look right at them, but they don't see Jesus any more than they did when they looked at Jesus' face. Did you know that Paul, God asked Paul, Paul, and you know, remember, Paul was persecuting the church. He was going all over the the region killing Christians, especially uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That's who he was trying uh, to wipe out. And then God asked him this question, Paul, why do you persecute me? What an interesting question. Well, I'm not persecuting you. I'm killing these fanatical apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And Jesus said, no, Paul. You're persecuting me. You're not offended at them. That's the pretense of offense. You're offended at me. Anybody here? Well, you're getting awful quiet. 
I was looking. I hadn't seen the signals yet. Am I okay? The pretense of offense. Cain slew his brother Abel. He wasn't offended at Abel. He was offended at God's law that said Abel's offering was acceptable and his was not. Jacob stole Esau's birthright. He wasn't offended at Esau because of Esau's birthright. He hated God's law of the firstborn and the double portion to the firstborn. And he wanted it. The gospel according to Jacob. The gospel according to Cain. The gospel according to Gary. Haman wasn't offended at Mordecai and Queen Esther. They were God's chosen. He was offended at God because they were his chosen. Ruth wasn't offended at all the things in her life, but she allowed her offense and her bitterness to take her husband and her son away from her. And here is the saddest one of all to me. Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't offended at Paul. He was offended at God for his mighty power that was working in Paul. Paul wound up writing two-thirds of the New Testament and had a list of accomplishments that you can hardly read in one setting. And nowhere will you find the name Barnabas in it. Can you imagine floating down that stream of blessing with God if Barnabas hadn't got hung up on a rock of offense a stone of stumbling, the greatness that it might have led to, what Paul and Barnabas might have done together. Here's a little story I want to end with. No applause. When you drop a leaf into a stream, that's leaf begins gently flowing in this gentle little stream. Then it widens into a creek with faster moving water. There's more resource in the creek than there was in the little stream. Then the creek widens into a rushing river. And there's all kind of resource in the rushing river. And then the river flows to the sea, the full community of God's earth and God's world and all the abundance that's in it. And you're that leaf and you're moving in that direction with all the ultimate end of your life is the abundance and the community of this earth, all that God has universally that he wants to share with you. But when you're moving toward the ocean in that little gentle stream, you haven't even got to the creek yet. You get hung up on a stone. The little leaf gets hung up on a stone of stumbling. It's a stone of offense. We move in God from a position of the gentle little stream of limited resources and God says, if you continue to flow and you don't allow yourself and choose a curse and get hung up on a rock of offense, 
then it'll be for you line upon line, precept upon precept, glory to glory, the stream, the creek, the river, the vast sea. And on your way to greatness and abundance and unmerited favor, opportunity without end, then suddenly you get the little leaf gets hung up on that rock of offense. So many Christians, you did run well. Who or what did hinder you that you should not obey the truth and be obedient and continue in my word, in my life, in my blessing, in my favor, in my abundance. But you're way back there in that little stream and your leaf is hung up on a stone of offense. You know what offense produces? Self-preservation. You know what you do if, if you're one of those that's hung up on that little leaf, hung up on that stone of offense? You isolate yourself. You know what isolation produces? Mental and emotional distress, severe loneliness, because you've cut yourself off from the church and the body of Christ in that vast sea of abundance in that community that God has for you. And you're hung up back here on some little rock of offense. We need one another. And I watch church online. I'm glad you're online. I love you. I hope you're there every single week. But we need one another. Because the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Iron left to itself will rust, decay, crumble. And if you run your hand across it, it'll draw blood. We need one another. That's only the pretense of offense. Can I just say that if you're the leaf hung up on the stone of offense, here's what God says. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. If you will allow me to, I will send a hell storm to knock down. You ever notice I say the word hell like H-E-L-L? I do it on purpose. A hell storm of lies to knock down your shanty town of, if you will allow God, in a positive way, he'll send a hell storm to knock down your shanty town of lies that you've built, hung up on that rock of offense back there. And I will send a flash flood to even wash away the rubble and no one will ever know it's even been there. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.